0: Do now. It's on. I'm hot. Ready to go. Not everybody else is ready to go. <clears throat> Am I in your way? I'm sorry. No, you're not in my way. I, I can't ridicule you if you're... Yes, 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 they'll go all the way up there, not quite, I have, to, I have to have you in my peripheral vision at least. Good morning, I didn't know what to title this so it's really long. Yeah, I, got, I put that to a tune. It'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? That death and broken shut tradition. <laughs> One word answers. That's not going to work. Yeah, I'm surprised we didn't get heartfelt. <laughs> All right. So. Turn that on. Works better. It is. On. So, give me to God. Give up my own title. So. This is so nice to be able to hear and read off of there. My new screen, our new screen. Steve hooked up. It's great. Huh? That I installed, yeah, that's true. And Matt helped me. I wouldn't have got that beast up there if I hadn't had a little bit of help. And Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and began okay, so just a reminder, we are in the area in and around the temple in Jerusalem. It is the final week for Jesus, and this is the week he's going to die, so this is the Passion Week. And it's there, everybody's there to celebrate the Passover, and they still don't get it. So, he began, and began watching how the people were putting money into the treasury, and how many rich people were putting in large amounts. And a poor widow came and put in two lepta coins, which amounts to a quadrant. Calling to his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. So what's his point? And note his frame of mind. What's his frame of mind in the Passion Week? His of mind is about giving it all. That's about what he's about to do. That's right. His of so mind, he's, he's about to give everything he has and die. So, on, on his, his part, part, he had faith in his father. On, on her part, part, too, she had faith. But what's his point? She had a lot of faith. Because what was was the law said they're supposed to do about widows? They're supposed to take care of them. Yeah, supposed to help them out. Particularly, she probably was one of the widows that was, was, uh, she was a poor widow. She she was probably past where they said you should get married again. Because there's a certain point where they said you should get married again in Jewish tradition. So... They were really responsible for taking care of her. Now, after Jesus' death, resurrection, and Christianity became, what do you think happened to her? Where would this woman have gone? the gone. the The church would have had it. And now you didn't have all this layer of the Pharisees that were in the middle of it. They were getting the teachings on what they should and shouldn't do. Remember what they did in the beginning of Acts, what they had to do in the beginning of Acts when they had all the people that were staying there and you had all the people that were running out of money? They appointed deacons to take care of the Grecian widows, remember? Remember? Those are the ones that had come from the dispersion uh, of of Judaism outside of Jerusalem, outside of Israel. And they were there. They were taking care of the Jewish widows, but they weren't taking care of the Grecian widows. You know, part of the Hellenistic um, uh, side of things. So, with the church, and the advent of the church, and the growth of the church, particularly in and around Jerusalem, she's going to be taken care of. But Jesus looked at her and said, here's the teaching point. Here's the teaching point, disciples. You need to give everything you have. Kind of like she did. You need to have her same faith. So, should we give till we're destitute? No. See, it's a one-word answer. I asked one of those one-word answers. No. You know, the point that he's making is not that we should give till we're destitute. The point he was making is you should give and still have faith in your giving. God's going to take care of you. But part of us, we should want to give. We should be giving, you know, why was the 10% there for the Jews in the Old Testament? But why was it there? Levi cuz a But the 10%, why was it 10%? To make sure they didn't give to where they were destitute. You had to give 10%, but the limit was 10%. It was what it really was. Now, the the Pharisees had twisted that around to say, well, see how great we do in giving 10%. It was like, no, you can give more if you want to, but God God wants 10% because he doesn't want you to be destitute. He doesn't want to drain you of everything you have that he's given you. So that's that's the woman in giving. I don't think I'll get through all this today, but we'll give it a shot. The Greeks see Jesus. This is kind of interesting. Now, there were some Greeks among those who were going to worship at the feast. These people then came to Philip, who was from Bethesda of Galilee, and were making a request to him, saying, Sir... We wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. So what do you think? Are these Greeks Jews or Gentiles? They were Greeks. Were they Jews or Gentiles? They're going to the feast. They're going to the 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 feast. These were Jews. Okay. But they they were the Hellenistic Jews. We refer to the Hellenistic Jews because they were all over in the dispersion in the Greek area. They, weren't, they didn't have a heritage of, of being a Jew. They didn't have a lineage they could trace back to, to David or anything like that. These were the Hellenistic Jews. So how accessible was Jesus? Do you see bureaucracy already started? Yes, you got to go through the handlers before you can talk to them. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The one who loves his life loses it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am... There my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So what's his parable about the grain, grain of wheat all about? Starts it out, he says, truly, truly, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Then he talks about wheat. What's his point? Watch out his. His life has to die so that the body of Christ will grow. That's right. That's his point. Okay. I've got to die so the church can grow. So what does Jesus say here relate to the gospel? This is easy. It's got all three parts. It's got the death. It's got the burial. It's got the resurrection. Jesus foretells his death. So he alluded to it, but he gets more of that. Now my soul has become troubled. And what what am I to say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it, and I will glorify it again. So the crowd stood by and heard it and were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoke to him. Jesus responded and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for yours. I do not remember this one verse, reading it in the past. Another reason to keep reading the book. So Jesus is struggling with, what's he struggling with that he's talking about here? This isn't hard either. He says, "He says, my soul has become troubled. Save me from this hour." He, he says, "I know this is gonna. This is gonna hurt. This is gonna be excruciating pain," and he knew it. You could have, you try, you that, that's, yeah, this is the purpose. Well, that's, So how's he strengthened? He, he's, he's resolved to go do this. But he's going to need this in the Garden of Gethsemane again. And we don't know all of what went on between Jesus and his father when he was in the Garden. We just know about parts of it. So was there a, a conversation, conversation going on? I don't know. There's some nothing the, written about it. Some of that, like they glorify your name, to a lot of the people sure. there, he dies in of, But... We know the rest of the story. We glorified for what he did. Yeah. Now, this crowd that's here listening to him is a finicky crowd. And we're going we're to get into this a little bit here. He says, and that's why he said, for what purpose were the words spoken that, he, that they heard? Because some of them heard thunder. Some of them heard the words. But what, were the, what was the real purpose the words were spoken? God talking to him. It's the same thing he says, uh, it's come not for my sake, but for yours. Just like when he was baptized, that was not just my beloved son here in him. This was a confirmation, a glorification of Jesus yep. by the Father. And to fulfill all my yeah. This group, and you're gonna see it as we go along a little bit, however far I get this morning, um, Isn't convinced. He's been healing people the whole time. He's been there that week. And they're still not convinced. They're still kind of going, "Eh, maybe, maybe not. Now judgment has come upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now he was saying this to indicate what kind of death he was going to die. The crowd then answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how is it that you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light, so that darkness will not overtake you. Also, the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. But while you have the light, believe in the light, so that you become sons of light. So, how were how are they receiving what he was talking about, and what, what were they reasoning from? Was he getting through to them? from the law going to be a forever again. Yeah, forever king. But they they were reasoning from a piece of it. What about all those that said, the Son of Man will be hung on a tree? What about all the ones where it talks about the lamb being sacrificed? All those particular ones. So they had a minimal understanding of the law that they were reasoning from that they said, well, he's supposed to live forever. They were right, but they were wrong. They didn't understand the living forever part of it. Because they were still thinking temporal, weren't they? They weren't thinking spiritual. And that was their problem. They were reasoning, so they were, they were challenging him to say, well, why do you say that, you know? They just heard an angel, or God, and it's, it was God, the Father, talking to the Son, and they already go into this. It's like, didn't you hear just, didn't you just hear it? So how did Jesus answer their question? Hold the light, hold still. Yeah, yeah. Did, you know, I'm the light. I'm showing you the way to God. Did the Pharisees show him the way to God? No. Matter of fact, they showed him. The opposite way from God. It was to be greedy, to take advantage of people, okay? So he answers the question and says, hey, while I'm still here, the light, listen to the light, follow the light, follow me. These things Jesus proclaimed, and he went away and he hid themselves from them. But though he had performed so many signs in their sight, they still were not believing him in him. This happened so that the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke, would be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this raven they could not believe. For Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes, he has hardened their heart, so that they will not see with their eyes and understand with their heart and be converted. And so I will not heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw the glory, his glory, and he spoke about him. So, you know, Isaiah could be an interesting study for us, couldn't it, Doug? Because I don't think we've studied it. But all through there, it alludes to the Savior. So why did he go away and hide? See, this wasn't a yes, no answer. Huh? Quiet time. time. Oh. Quiet time? Probably contemplate. But imagine his frustration. He's been doing miracles. He's been healing the sick. He's been throwing out demons. He's been doing all this during the week. His father talked to them in front of him. He's been teaching them about the Word of God, things they never really understood about the Word of God. And they're going, well, we're really not sure yet. You imagine the frustration? Imagine the irritation when, when he kind of says, okay, i got to get away from these people. I need to relax. I need to focus on why I'm here. And I'm not here to argue with these people. I'm here to breathe the light. Some of his phrases he uses a lot of times are he who has ears let him hear, he who has eyes let him see. And that's, it's these people. They are hearing and they're seeing, but they're not listening, they're not soaking it in, they're not figuring it out. What if they hadn't have been blinded and their hearts hardened? That poison goes a long way. Huh? That poison has gone a long way. To blind them and harden their hearts poison from the Pharisees and stuff. It and had gone along, sure. But what if they hadn't been? What if no one would have said, crucify him? It had, it had to be. That wasn't the plan. If they hadn't had their hearts hardened, if they hadn't have been blinded, there wouldn't have been this ruckus to say, crucify him, crucify him, kill him. It had to get to that fever pitch. Nevertheless, many, even the rulers, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him so that they would not be excommunicated from the synagogue. For they loved the approval of the people rather than the approval of a God. Now Jesus cries out and said, The one who believes in me does not believe in me, but also in him who sent me. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world so that no one who believes in me will remain in darkness." So this is, a, this is after he's hid and you can see his frustration. Had they been futile? No, not 100% futile, but they were afraid to get thrown out of the synagogue. So, so those that even believed didn't say anything, which I don't know. Nicodemus, Josephus, Almathea could have been that category. What do we see and what can we believe through Jesus? What did he say here? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you believe in me, you believe in him who sent me. If you don't, you don't see him, you don't hear him, you don't believe in him. This whole thing reminds me of the rich man and Lazarus yeah, in the bosom of Abraham and the rich man saying, send, send Lazarus to my brothers and convince them. It. And he <coughs> says, They've you had know? the prophets, they've had all this evidence and they're just sinois, they're hard members, and they're deniers. Yeah. And yeah. so, no matter what evidence comes upon someone, I mean, if if you have in your head that you don't want to believe it, you're yeah. you're, you're set. Yeah, yeah. yeah you you are hard-headed, and you're going to stay there. And so, it's important to remember, you know, when we want to we want to speak to somebody about Christ, but if if they just if they're denying the truth, if they have their own ideas about Christ. and how, how the church is organized, and you, you probably won't convince them, but you can try. You, could, you, you can, can try, but and you might have, have to, to wait, wait for a teachable moment. It's not only biblical; it's history in general. We crave the approval of men. I can't do something that's going to get me excommunicated and the Senate. I can't well, lose that approval. Well, in the approval, and kind of what goes along with the synagogue was, in their society, religion and politics and economics were all linked together. So if you were sent out of the synagogue, you were ostracized economically and politically in their, in their society. So there was, it was a pretty big hit to do that and you needed to really be convinced to do that. And it's like, yeah, I really think he might be the son of God, but, but they weren't willing to take that next step. The day of Pentecost, I think a lot of them took that next step. Said, okay, now we really understand. I don't think in the United States understand that as much as if you live in a foreign country where the religion also controls economics, and your life, and you would understand more of what they would totally That's true. That's true. If you live, for instance, if you live in uh, Iran, um, their politics, their economics, as well as their religion are all wrapped together. It's all one. So, any other comments? Thank you. If anyone hears my teaching and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not accept my teachings has the one who, judge, has one who judges him, the word which I spoke. That will judge him on the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak I speak just as the father told me. So why did he come? Save the world, okay? (laughs) To bring the light and to be the sacrifice. So what is he came to deliver? The truth. Because it wasn't getting out. But he came to deliver the truth. That's that's what he says before. For this reason I was born and for this reason I came. The temple end questions. I'm moving along pretty good. Jesus left the temple area and was going his way when his disciples came up to the point where the temple buildings to him. And I mix this between Luke and Matthew because it's a nice compliment. And while some were talking about the temple that it was decorated with beautiful stones and vowed gifts, he said, as for these things you are observing, the days will come when there will be no, will there will be, will there will not be one stone upon another, which will be torn down. So the disciples are going, ooh, ah, and Jesus goes, it's going to be destroyed. So, well, what were they, why were they ooing on over it? it yeah, and all these beautiful stones, and they said we're going to give gifts to the temple, and it's you know it's it, it was big. It was a big structure. It's like 90 feet high. Which in those days, that's a high structure. I'm only eating in here, not out of disrespect. I don't feel well. So Sue, make made sure I had sugar and everything. Good. I'm sorry. That's fine. I, I didn't want to be rude by sitting and no. here. I'm listening. Good. I just can't. I don't feel good. You need to snack a little bit. Yeah, bring your bro- blood sugar up a little bit too. Disrespectful. I'm uh, Perfectly. And if you need to eat some more, eat some more. What was the temple? What was Jesus' reaction? Yes, it's going to be gone. Do you imagine when he said that? I mean, they were going. "Ah," He goes, it's going to be knocked down. Imagine they kind of did one of these. What did he say that? It's the temple. When we hear one of these times he chased them twice. As a matter of fact, he chased them out with whips. He says, you've made my father's house a den of thieves. <laughs> they're going, oh. they're stunned. The disciples are stunned. And as he we was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And he said, See to it that you are not misled, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and revolts, do not be alarmed, for these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. So, so what was a what was a reaction to his proclamation? When? When? They're shocked. I can't believe this is going to happen. So how many questions do the disciples ask? Not do we have left. Well, that that was part of it. There's like three questions in there. It's three parts, but one question is, when will these things happen? The second one is, what's the sign of your coming? The end of the age. They ask two questions, don't they? Huh? Yeah, it's, separ- it's, it's, it's taking what he just said, because did, did he say anything about the end of the age? He just said, there won't be one stone on top of another stone with this temple. It'll be torn down, totally destroyed. So the first question is to say, when will these things happen? And then they say, what will be the sign of your coming? So which of the, which of the questions was not a result of visiting the temple? This is pivotal to the rest of this particular section in Matthew. Getting this where you understand where they started from is critical to understanding the rest of what's in this section of Matthew. Which question wasn't a result of the visit? The second question is just part of the, the, new, the Old Testament teaching. They know the Messiah is coming, they finally have seen it, they finally heard it. The Messiah, when is the Messiah coming? When is the end of the, the, the age of the law? The, when is the end of the age? When is the sign of your coming? That wasn't, that wasn't really part of it. But what's the relationship between the two questions in the disciples' mind? Like I said, this is critical to the rest. it's just going to be It's simultaneous. When the temple's destroyed, it's the end of the age. It's done. It's over. That's, they've linked the two together. The destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, they've linked together with the end of the age, the end of time, the coming of the sun, the second coming. That's what they've done. So they still don't understand totally because they have it as an event. And Jesus is going to explain it as two events, not one. What must occur prior to his return? Okay, and Jesus answered and said to them, "See, two, and this is, this is a section where you get into premillennialism. And part of it spawned from this particular section of the Bible, where people said, he's going to come back, and he's going to reign, and then it's going to be the end. So Jesus answered and said to him, see to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will mislead many people. And you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for these things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. So what's going to happen after he dies and ascends that will affect the disciples that he's warning them against? Hmm? False teachers. False teachers. Somebody who says, I'm, I'm the Christ, I've come back. What else? They're going to look at all these wars, all this turmoil, all this churn in the world, all this strife in the world, and they're going to say, must be coming, must be, must be right around the corner. He says, no, it's the beginning. I think I said that. Why are these things the birth pains of? What happened that caused the church to disperse? Persecution. Persecution. What happened in 70 AD? They're going to be looking at all that and they're going to say, oh man, it must be close. He says, it's just the beginning. It's the beginning of the church. It's how it's going to grow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was the, uh, the Mormon church had several of the Bibles they produced in the late 1800s and in the early 1900s that said, here's the date. And later versions came out and there was no date. And we're going to talk about that, too. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, turning you over to the synagogues and prisons bringing you before kings and governors on my account for my name. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves. For I will provide you eloquent and wisdom, eloquence and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to oppose or refute. But you will be betrayed, be betrayed even by your parents, brothers and sisters, other relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all people because of my name. And yet, not a hair of your head will perish, but your endurance will gain your lives. So, you know, how does he tell the disciples what they will experience? What does he tell them? Good news? No, it's not good news. It's going to be tough. You're going to be persecuted. Because of me. Some of you are going to die. So how does he tell them to respond? And use it as an opportunity to teach. Remember when Peter, it was Peter and John, right? That healed the man when they were walking to the temple. And they arrested him. They drug him in there. They said, can't teach about that Jesus anymore. Can't, you can't heal people anymore. And they, re, they responded. Who helped them respond? The Spirit. The Spirit. God. It's amazing because, you know, when you teach, you have to study so much before you teach. And he's telling them, you can't really do that. The Spirit's <coughs> going to tell you what to say. Sorry. Sorry. But he said, who will betray him? Even, people, even the people closest to you are going to disagree and betray you. Expect it. Don't be shocked. So most of them had a horrific death. What does he mean by they will gain their lives? Eternal life. It was just too easy, wasn't it? See, I've got 35 slides and I'm only on 18. You're welcome, Doug. Yeah, there you go. And at that time, many will fall away, and they will betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise up and mislead many people. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will become cold. But the one who endures the end is the one who will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to the nations. And then the end will come. What kind of future picture does he paint? Tough road. Expect it. When will the end come? I think this leads me to the next one. Which question was he answering here? There's two. Got a 50-50 chance of getting this right. When will the temple be destroyed? When will the end of time come? Which one is he answering here? This really answers when the end of time will be. This is the end of time. This is the question they didn't ask. The question they asked, but it didn't spawn from looking at the temple. But this is the one they linked together with the temple being destroyed. Destruction of Jerusalem. I will get to this. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken through, the, through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. So now he's gone back to the first question. What kind of picture does he paint with his words? Get out of town. It's vivid, okay? And he refers back to Daniel. That's here. This is in chapter 9. And I'm going to jump down to the bottom part of it. But this is talking about when Jesus comes and after he ascends, what's going to happen to the city. And I'm down there where the first underlining uh, starts. It's verse 26 That after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, no one, and the people of the prince who's come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So he's got an end after this particular time that he's talking about of the city being destroyed after Jesus is cut off, He's after he's killed. And he will form a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come the one who makes desolate until a complete destruction One that is decreed, decreed, gushed forth on the one who makes desolate. So this is where Daniel is talking about the destruction. And the destruction is an abomination to God. But it it doesn't tie it together. But this is what Christ is alluding to back in Daniel was the abomination. Now, in in Matthew he continues on. Whoever is on the housetop must not go down to get the things out of his house, and whoever is in the field must not turn back to get his cloak. But woe to the women who are pregnant, and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Moreover, pray that when you flee, it will be not in the winter or on the Sabbath, because you're not supposed to leave or walk any farther than, what was it, two miles on the Sabbath? But then there will be a great tribulation, tribulation such as not has occurred since the beginning of the world until now nor ever will again. So it's an event that occurs, but there's time after it. And if those days had not been cut short, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So the destruction is not total annihilation, but it does destroy. So what is it the people that are to be? Will they see this coming? If this is the destruction of Jerusalem, will they see it coming? Yep. So they'll see it coming. This is this isn't the same tribulation that he just talked about with the end of time. See, that's the problem: is he answers both questions and he bounces back and forth. That's why I said it's. Pivotal to understand those two questions. Now, Gaius Caligula, he bore a grudge for being ignored. This is out of Josephus. In respect, so he sent his legate, Petronius, to Syria to take rule over them from Petalius and ordered him to lead a large force in Judea. If they received from him willingly, he was to place a statue of Caligula himself in the temple of God. But if they treated him with arrogance, he was to do so after mastering them in battle. So this is Caligula's idea was he was going to put a statue of himself in the temple. He got assassinated, so that didn't happen. But in 63 A.D., we finally got to another particular Roman emperor. It was Vitellius. The Romans captured Jerusalem and Judea became an outpost of the Roman Empire, but in 66 C.E., The Jews, or A.D., the Jews rose in revolt against the Romans as their ancestors had one done against Antiochus. Antiochus was the part of the kingdom that was a Seleucid empire that they overthrew with the Maccabees and established Hanukkah to remember every year that they overthrew the Greek influence that they had that was under Antiochus, the Seleucid empire. So they did the same thing to the Romans that they did to the Greeks didn't turn out the same way. The resulting first Jewish Roman war ended in 70 AD when the legions of the Roman general Titus surrounded and eventually captured Jerusalem. The city and the temple were razed to the ground and the only habitation on the site until the first third of the next century was a Roman military camp. So they annihilated it. They took all the people and they sold them as slaves. So that's what happened. So this is the answer to the first part of the question or the first question. And then he goes into more detail on the second question, which Doug is going to get to next week. Thanks for your attention.